We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and in particular, we've been looking at what it tells us about being a healthy church body. I'm very deliberate about saying body. It's a living organism allegory that Paul uses. What does it mean to be a healthy church body with Jesus Christ as its head? Uh, it says in Ephesians, in a future sermon in this series, that you'll hear this ad nauseum from me, until then, uh, we are being... We are growing together into the head who is Jesus Christ as each part of the body does its work. We are growing into the head who is Jesus as each part does its work right down to every supporting ligament. So I, I've, been, I've been kind of challenging myself and challenging you. Ask Jesus, ask the head of our church, what is my part in this body? How do I live my life into this thing you're doing in this place I call home, this church body at New Life Fellowship? I believe that God has a place for everybody in this church. And that uh, his, uh, the, the, the effectiveness of what God wants to do in us is contingent upon everyone asking that question individually and then plugging into the body. I'd love to hear what Jesus says to you when you ask that question. I'd love an email, a phone call, a text message. What do you think God's calling you to do to participate in this body? Um, it's great to have... Uh, the head and different parts of the body. But what if you don't have supporting ligaments uh, holding things together? The, per- the body falls over. So there's, no, there's nothing too small to be called to in the body of Christ. Everything is really important. And there might be some ministry that God is calling us to that we are not aware of yet because it's a ministry that you have in your heart and, uh, and God wants to do here. But at any rate, I digress. I don't digress. I just rabbit, I rabbit trail. Uh, but I've been reading Ephesians with great excitement thinking about this idea of God, and I really believe he's doing this, is building us into a body, a healthy body, into the head who is Christ, as each part does its work. I hope you're catching this vision along with me. Uh, it's an exciting thing. Last week we looked at how God is the great includer. God's will in choosing the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and God's will for choosing the church, which is made up of Jews and non-Jews, i.e. everybody, every people group in the whole world, God's uh, will in choosing these two groups was never to exclude people from blessing. We create groups to exclude people in our, in our, in our humanity. That's our tendency. Um, that's where things like racism and all kinds of awful, uh, sinful things happen. Uh, but God chose the Jews and he chooses the church in order to include people. It says in Genesis, when God talked to our, the patriarch of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Uh, He said, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that has a telescopic meaning. One One of Abraham's descendants was Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are brought together, and Gentiles being the catch all, everyone else category, the whole world is joined together into the body of Christ. But it also had a meaning for Abraham at the time. The intention for the Jewish people was that they would also. Uh, be assigned to the world of who God is and draw people in, in their time and place into, into the family of God and the people of God. So God has never been about exclusion. God has been about using groups of people to bring inclusion, to bring people into the body of Christ. Um, people, when they are excluded from the, from the people of God, it's not because God chose that. It's because people choose to exclude themselves, Honestly. Uh, God has made every provision through Jesus Christ for anyone 
no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done or haven't done, no matter their pedigree, uh, whatever, whatever it might be, God has made a provision through Christ so that anyone can be part of his people. And all of the uh, parables and stories that Jesus tells about the wedding feast and, and the celebration of the people of God, it always talks about people uh, inviting a certain group of people, then expanding it, expanding it, and then finally they invite everybody, and still people aren't coming to the banquet. The, the invitation has been made. You know, you, you choose chicken or veal on your invitation, whatever it might be. God invites everybody. People choose not to come. People choose not to come. Last week we saw that, uh, and, and God respects that. God respects the human will. Um, God does not impose himself on an unwilling people. Uh, so it's, it's cool. God includes everyone. That's the power of his grace which is what is on Paul's mind in Ephesians. Um, last week we saw how God created the church body through combining Jews and non-Jews together. And uh, in doing that, the way that God did that was through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, this wall of hostility between Jewish people and people that were not Jewish, which, which they had created in their humanity and their sinfulness and their brokenness, they had made it an in-group, out-group situation, Jews and everyone else. Um, through Jesus' death, God abolished the dividing wall of hostility that was present between these two people groups and brought them together into the body, the church. It's an amazing thing. And, and the, the, the real point from last week the gospel does not just save your soul, though it does that quite well. The gospel does not just save people's souls. The gospel actually has the power to destroy racism. The gospel has the power to destroy any ism you can think of. The gospel is powerful. It's a powerful thing. It's a mysterious thing. But through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross... Not just one people, but all people groups are joined together into the body of Christ. And that gospel is not just effective to save souls, it's effective to destroy evil in society and the things that we set up, which are walls of hostility. If you think about it in this way, uh, the wall of hostility between us and God, where we were enemies of God, the Bible says, we were doing everything in the opposite direction of a relationship with God, that wall of hostility was torn through Jesus Christ, so that we can have this direct relationship with God through Jesus. That's the gospel message. And we'll, we're looking at that today. But also, the dividing walls of hostility that, that our sinfulness has set up, that we have set up through deciding who's in and who's out, and we don't want that person, and you know, why, why them? I've been a great Christian my whole life, and now this sinner comes to Christ? That's ugly, and it's sin, and God died to destroy that wall of hostility as well. The gospel has power. I have never seen a clearer picture of the actual, tangible um, picture of what the gospel can do than in 2005 when I first visited Bosnia and Herzegovina with uh, some of you here. And uh, some of you here have, have spent time in Bosnia. But in 2005, I saw something miraculous that the gospel did. And I want to bear testimony to that. Uh, many of you know that between 1992 and 1995, Bosnia and Herzegovina underwent a, ter a terrible civil war and genocide. Uh, the aftermath of this genocide uh, was that many of the men were killed in the country. 
and leaving many widows and families without any, anyone to care for their needs or money to care for their needs, which is why we do the Bosnian Handcraft Project, by the way, in the lobby that MJ and many of you have been a part of. Uh, this is a way to support these women who are victims of this genocide and civil war who have no way to support their family. And so we, we are the distribution center for the United States, by the way, this church, which is kind of crazy. Um, but we partner with Bosnia and MJ and and Lorian and many many of you. And I just want to didn't want to leave anyone out, so I just said MJ. Um, this is to aid to serve Jesus's love in the midst of this problem of, of genocide that happened. But uh, what happened between 1992 and 1995? Some of you remember this. Um, Serbian Orthodox Christians. This is quote unquote Christians at this point. This is a cultural. It's more of an ethnic religion than a personal faith relationship with Christ. Um, Serbian Orthodox Christian forces mobilized and began an ethnic cleansing in Bosnia, uh, cleansing it of Bosnian Muslims, cleansing it of Croatian Catholics, oh. and it was awful, leaving many people. Uh, the, the stories are heartbreaking. So we were there only 10 years after all of that conflict had ended. And I'm telling you, you know when you can feel something in the air? A tent, like when you go into like an awkward, like you have an awkward conversation with someone, then you see that person again in a public setting, and you're like, feel awkward? I mean, you could feel it in the air like that. You could feel the hostility in the air. And, and you know, essentially, racism, ethnic cleansing, this is crazy stuff. It doesn't just go away because the conflict ended. And uh, we, could, we could feel it in the air. There was pictures of the violence everywhere. Um, there were, you know, red, they called them roses, but uh, people had marked on the streets with paint where, um, you know, bombs had gone off and people had been, and a certain number of people had been killed. They'd marked the street that way. Uh, you could see the buildings are shelled out. Um, but you could feel it in the air. So these three groups had this, had this, uh, hostility towards one another, and then this genocide happened from the Orthodox to the, to the Muslims to the Catholics. Um, but as in most societies, all three of those groups together hated the Roma people, a, a fourth group of people that everyone hated. So you have three groups that hate each other, then you have the fourth group that everyone hates. This is just the way of the world, uh, the, way, the way of sinful humanity. Really ugly. So the gospel is a powerful force, not just to save our souls, but to break actual walls of hostility. Knowing the recent history of the country, before I went in, I was totally in awe of the power of the gospel when we went to an evangelical church in Brazza. Um, we saw this in other churches as well, evangelical churches. And I saw former Bosnian Muslims, former Croatian Catholics, and former Serbian Orthodox people, along with many, in this church, many Roma people, as the majority was Roma people, worshiping Jesus Christ together in unity. Because when they met Jesus, he became the one thing that defined them, and all the other walls of hostility and identities fell away. It was so powerful. It was so powerful. And the, and the pastor, Miladin, I think he was, he was um, Croatian. Uh, everyone listening to this Croatian pastor uh, groups that had been in hostility to one another. And, they were, and, and a lot of this church, because it was s- serving impoverished Roma people, a lot of the ministry was to these, this, thir- this fourth hated group 
So these three groups working together to serve this group. I mean, it's amazing. The gospel is a powerful force, not just to save souls, though it does that quite well, but to break down walls. And it's mysterious uh, how it does that, but it is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to explain to you in a math equation how it works, but it is powerful. I know that when you receive the gospel to your core as a follower of Christ, uh, it, does, it does humble you. It brings you down to this level where you can receive the grace and become a part of the people of God. Uh, and so that, it does transform the human heart. And so it does change from within. But it, it does other stuff too. It's very mysterious to me and amazing. So that's the gospel. When the gospel is clearly preached and internalized, the power of that is unimaginable. So I guess that comes back to, to some of us, if I could, could take a moment. Uh, what's your thing? What's your thing that's too powerful to break? I believe the gospel can break any chain. I believe that. And we'll talk about what the gospel is. But I believe that the gospel can break any chain, any societal ill. I believe the gospel has power. It's not just a philosophy. It's an energized, animated, through the Holy Spirit, power of God for every man, Paul said, and woman, and child. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for everyone, what Paul said. The gospel. With this thought in mind, that the gospel is powerful, uh, we are going to look into today's text in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. If you have a smartphone Bible, you can power it up, tablet, power it up. If you need a physical Bible, raise your hand. I'm not sure we'll bring you a physical Bible. But turn to Ephesians 3. I'd like you to follow along with me so you can see what we're looking at. All right. Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Awkward line. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. You see that dash after the word Gentiles? That awkward dash right before verse 2? It's very clear that, that Paul began, was beginning to write a prayer. Because that's the form that he used when he wrote prayers. We saw that in Ephesians 2. For this reason, and then he prays. And actually, he does end up praying in verse 14, but that's next week that we're going to look at that, right before our, our praying Sunday, the week after. So that's give you a little bit of excitement for that. But Paul is just about to start a prayer here. But then he decides to talk about how God brought Jews and Gentiles together through Christ instead, which Paul views as his personal life mission. He gets really fired up, and so he starts to pray, then he says, oh, oh, let me tell you what my mission is and what God's given me to do again. And we, did, we talked about this last week. But Paul wants to talk about it again. So we're going to look at it again from a different angle. So what Paul wants to expound on what he views as his life calling. At the time of the writing of this letter, I want to give you some context for Paul. Paul had been in jail for about two or three years. This time. He'd been, he was jailed like three different times. They think he was in jail for a total of six years. You don't think about that when you breeze through the New Testament, how long this guy was in jail. <laughs> that stinks. I don't think that Paul liked jail. 
But Paul had been in jail for about two or three years, and that's where he writes this, le- this letter from. Uh, and, and why was Paul in jail? Essentially, Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel and preaching his life mission from God, that Jews and Gentiles are now given equal access to God through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul went to jail. We know this because in Acts 21, 20, 28, we see Paul arrested partially for bringing a Gentile Greek with him into the temple, which the Jews were not happy about, uh, and partially because, in general, Paul kept on saying to everybody, Jews and Gentiles, they can all come equally to God through Jesus Christ. And the Jewish people did not like that. They did not like that. And so the Jewish people got the Roman government to arrest Paul and put him in jail. Uh, we also know this because in First uh, Thessalonians, I'm trying to find the verse here. This is really interesting. In First Thessalonians 2.16, Paul makes a really offhand comment. He said, They, meaning the Jews, displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they can be saved. So Paul, Paul is saying, like, God's got to be pretty upset. He's doing this new thing of creating the church. Uh, uh, the, the church body, which includes everybody, and the Jews are all really angry about it, and, and they're hostile to everyone who's trying to tell the Gentiles that they can come to God through Jesus. And so this is why Paul is in jail, just for that simple thing of saying you don't have to be Jewish to come to God, saying everyone can come, uh, come alike to, through Jesus. So Paul views his two or three year, this particular imprisonment, as being a direct consequence of him living out his mission for God to preach equal access to God for Jews and non-Jewish people alike. And for this reason, if you look in verse 1, Paul says he is the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's an interesting thing to say. Jesus gave Paul a mission to do, uh, to announce this equal access to God for Jews and Gentiles, for all people through Jesus. So Paul didn't even blame the civil authorities when he went to jail. He just was like, I guess I'm a prisoner of Christ because I'm doing what Christ told me to do and this is where I ended up. Isn't that interesting? He didn't whine (laughs) about this mission. Instead, he rejoiced because his imprisonment was proof that he was doing just what Jesus told him to do, which is pretty cool. To preach peace to those, as we saw last week, peace to those who are far away, meaning non-Jewish people, and peace to those who are near, meaning the Jewish people. He said, you know, I guess I'm a prisoner for Christ because... I'm here because I wouldn't stop doing this mission he gave me to do. And he just looked at it that way. He, was, he wasn't whining. Isn't it inspiring to see someone with such a strong sense of mission and calling that not even multiple years and of, of imprisonment and multiple terms of imprisonment can discourage them? It's, I think it's pretty inspiring. Paul was just like Jesus, a peaceful warrior for the cause of the gospel. And in his imprisonment, Paul was going through exactly what his Lord Jesus went through when he followed his life's mission in calling from God. Jesus' mission, of course, to save the world from their sins through his death. And Paul, and Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't think of himself as being crucified uh, by by the civil authorities. Uh, Jesus thought about himself dying for the sins of humankind by the will of God. He didn't whine about it. He did ask God if God would take the cup from him, but that's understandable. That's not whining. That's just a simple question. And God said, no, this is how it has to go. And Jesus followed his mission. And Paul was doing the same thing. (laughs) I just think that it's so inspiring to see someone who is totally convinced of their mission 
and doesn't even view any of these things that would discourage any of us. We get discouraged when it's raining outside. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's raining outside. Today's a bad day. Today's a sin day. <laughs> you know? Paul's like, oh, been two or three years. No idea when I'm going to be released. Prisoner of Christ. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, I'm good. Um, I'll, Jesus could release me whenever he wants. He hasn't done it yet. He's done it before. Maybe he wants me to, to lead some people to Christ in here. I don't know. This is Paul's attitude. I love this guy. Paul didn't whine about his imprisonment because for Paul, it showed him he was on the right track. It actually encouraged him. I'm doing the right thing. So let me ask you this question. Can you imagine how it would feel for you to have this strong sense of calling and mission from God? Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you imagine being so confident that not even great persecution could deter you, but would instead authenticate for you that you are doing God's work? Can you imagine being that confident? You might need to be that confident at some point. <laughs> We're not guaranteed our religious liberties and different things. You need to be confident of the calling God's given you. We need to know our mission clearly from God, and we need to be bold and aggressive in carrying out that mission. We, like Paul and Jesus before him, need to be peaceful warriors. This is the, the term I'm coming up with. Peaceful warriors for God. Uh, we need to stop whining at our life circumstances when things don't go our way. Because we're so confident. We're so confidently walking in what we know is God's will for us that no matter what comes along the way, we're just like, well, this happened, so what does Jesus want to do now? What's he going to do? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What does he want to do now? I just think that's such an inspiring thought. So, after Paul begins his prayer in verse 1, you know, we have 13 verses, so, you know, I promise that's the longest part of the sermon. Uh, after he begins his prayer and interrupts himself, we're going to go on into uh, verse 2 and read through to uh, verse 9. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been, made, been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, this mystery, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. We could say that verses 7 through 9 encapsulate Paul's driving passion, vision, and what he felt was his mission from God or what was his mission from God. This is the vision that Paul is so sure of that he doesn't mind going to jail for several years to carry it out. He says in uh, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. 
The word servant here can be translated from the original language as server. So think restaurant. Uh, Think restaurant. Paul serves the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ like a waiter at a restaurant serves excellent food to the diners that are under their care. God, the creator of all things, had put together this recipe which allowed all people to come equally to him through Jesus Christ. And the recipe included not only Jewish people, but everyone in the whole world. And Paul describes this dish in verse 8 as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, in humility, viewed himself as the least of God's people, the least of the saints. Uh, Paul had spent time persecuting the church, and so he, he really felt like, how has God given me this mission? I was persecuting these very people that are now that, that are, are sharing the message that I am now sharing. How can God include me? He was very humbled that God chose him, but God did choose him. And so Paul was very in touch with the fact that, you know, the, these are incomprehensible, boundless riches found in Christ. And he viewed himself as the least of the saints. Um, a combination of humility and also a sincere passion, passion uh, to get God's amazing message of equal as- access to all people, to God, through Jesus Christ, uh, allowed Paul to view his imprisonment as, even, as something to rejoice in. You know, that's, that's passion, that's conviction. So again, let me ask you this question. What would it look like for you to live with this strong of a sense of vision and mission in your life? This is a really good question. The gospel that Paul, Paul preached is still the powerful force it was back then. I saw it in Bosnia. I've seen it in my own life with various things that I have struggled with and been unable to change about myself. The gospel breaks every wall of hostility between us and God, between us and other people, and has the power to break us out of things that are destroying us and destroying our families. The gospel is powerful. But I don't see too many people excited and passionate to share it. There's not nearly as many people excited and passionate to share as there needs to be. And I think that perhaps that's because we don't really believe that it is all that powerful. We think that the preacher is just trying to set up a really awesome story and like convince us of how powerful it is. Like, hey, it's powerful. Now, everyone, we're all excited and okay, nice job. Kind of contrived, preacher guy, you know, trying to make us think that how powerful it is, but you're exaggerating. But I I don't believe that I'm exaggerating. I think the gospel is much more powerful than we give it credit for. It has the power to bring people right to God through Jesus Christ. It has the power to break every chain, every addiction, every, every anger problem, every family dysfunction, uh, every race, racially uh, racism in this society, sexism, classism, anything that separates people from each other and people from God, the gospel has the power to break. And so we need to be, we need to find a passion in sharing this message. In all of its, uh, and you know, it's not, it's something that just applies differently to every individual person in every situation. Um, which is one of the reasons I love to share the gospel with people that I know. Because I can, once I get to know someone, then I can really share with them, you know, this would be really helpful to you. <laughs> this is essential for you. But I mean, equally, the gospel can be shared with a person that never knew Jesus, and it can just bring transformation and release. It's a powerful thing. It's not just a word or a philosophy. It's it's a, the power of God for every man, woman, and child. So maybe if we're not so passionate to share it, uh, the only thing I can think of, and I'm not condemning anyone for not being passionate about sharing the gospel, because I, I've go, I've I've go through seasons of not being very passionate about sharing the gospel. Everyone does. We wax and wane. Um, 
in our passion. I'm not trying to beat up anybody, but maybe the question is, have you experienced the power of gospel, the gospel for yourself yet? Maybe that's a better question. I think once you experience the power of the gospel and what it can do, I think that you're, you get excited to share it because you see how it has affected your life. Um, so this is something to take uh, to heart. Um, have I experienced the power of God's gospel for myself? Um, in any given week, I'm really thankful to be a, a pastor. I get to hear, have lots of conversations with lots of different people, some who know Christ, some who don't. Um, but in any given week, To see the power of the gospel in a person when you're praying for someone and they, they finally, finally, maybe they've, maybe they've worked through forgiving other people in their life and finally they've realized that God, they can forgive themselves because God forgives them. And, they, and the love of Christ is poured into their life. It brings a transformation, brings a security. Um, it's just a complete demeanor change in people uh, when they realize that the gospel... Uh, is true for them and that they really do have the love of God through Jesus Christ. Um, even them, uh, people that feel the most unloved, can know that they're beloved in Christ. It's, it's a powerful thing. And, that, you know, if you haven't experienced the power of the gospel, time to pray. Time to get some other people to pray for you. Time to bring some things to the light that are hidden, that are really hurting you and to get those things out into the open so they can be prayed for, and God can apply his gospel to those things, and you can be free, you know? And, uh, you know. So moving on to uh, verses 10 to 13 here, and we're finishing up with this. It says, and this, this is really how this passage all relates to us as a church, verses 10 to 13. His, Jesus' Jesus' intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's my favorite sentence in that uh, verse 12. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And then Paul says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. God's intention is that now, through our church, New Life Fellowship, and through any other church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's intention for the church is that his wisdom would be put on display for the physical powers and authorities that rule in the world and the spiritual powers and authorities and and structures in the world that are unseen that stand behind the world's structures, powers, and authorities. It's God's will that his wisdom be made put on display for those people. And I, and I think that church in Bosnia, with all of those different ethnic groups worshiping together, that is, if that could be seen by the authorities of the country, that would be a powerful thing. I hope that they did see that. Um, what a powerful thing to see these people living in fellowship uh, that's the power of the gospel. And God's will is that his manifold wisdom in bringing through faith in Jesus Christ everyone to him with freedom and confidence would be put on display to the world. That's God's will for the church. The literal reading of verses 12 and 13 from the Greek I found to be particularly inspiring. So I'm going to read this for you. The literal, the literal like Greek to English rendering without any polishing and smoothing out uh, 3, 12 to 13, Jesus Christ, in whom we have boldness 
and access in confidence through faith in him. I like that because it says we have boldness through Jesus and access in confidence. It's like such a reassuring passage. We have boldness to approach the throne of God through Jesus. So Paul, Paul, you know, his passion to preach this message of the gospel caused him to be undeterred by imprisonment. For Paul knew he was in prison for doing exactly what he wanted to do. And you, likewise, New Life Fellowship, have been given a mission from God. We've been given a mission from God. New Life Fellowship has been recruited by God to be a server of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, anyone can approach God with great boldness and confidence. Anyone. Anyone you see. And in doing this, in unity, as a church fellowship, we demonstrate to the physical powers of this world and to the powers in the heavenly realms the wisdom of God's plan to bring all things in heaven and earth together through Jesus Christ. This is God's wisdom. So I ask you again, as I've asked many weeks in a row through emails and sermons, what is your part in this church body that you call new life, uh, that we call new life, uh, that we call home? What part of this living body of Christ is Jesus calling you to play for the serving of his gospel to Saratoga Springs? The sooner you understand and do your purpose in the body, the closer you get to living out this clear mission and passion like, like the Apostle Paul had, like Jesus had, like many others after them, uh, where no matter what happens, no matter the outcome, you know I was doing the thing that God called me to do. So recapping uh, this, this sermon, I'll do it in three slides. I need some help from Paul. The gospel has a mysterious but effective power to not only save our souls, but to break every chain in our lives and in this world. Two, when we live according to Jesus' mission and calling, difficult circumstances cannot deter us, but instead drive us forward. And three, we are called, along with Paul, to be servers of this powerful gospel mystery, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we may all approach God with freedom and confidence. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We'll leave this on the screen for a moment. And they're going to lead us in a closing song. My vision for New Life Fellowship is not that we would be another church fellowship filled with people that are like 10th generation Christians. You know, I want it to be filled with people that have never met Jesus before so they can be sewn into this body. Because I'm interested in people that are just a little different, maybe a little rough around the edges, whatever, from the Saratoga Springs community coming in through Jesus, we all have equal access to the Father, through the mystery of the gospel, becoming a part of this body and changing the reflection of God that happens in this church to something just unique. The artist in me, the musician in me, loves this idea of a rich tapestry where uh, God does a unique expression of Jesus' body in this place because he adds to our number people that just are fresh. Um, And they bring to the table all of their personalities, their, um, their uh, demeanor, their gifts, their talents. They bring it all, come to God through Jesus, just like all of us do, and become a part of the body and bring transformation to us, that we might even be a, a more effective church for God to use in reaching more people with the gospel message. So it's a very exciting thing. Uh, I hope you're catching that vision as well.